Father, we do ask that you just bless this time as we study your word. These are very incredible times that we're in. And Lord, my prayer is that it would touch our hearts what we're reading. As Ezekiel is inspired by the Spirit of God as he writes these words down. But it wasn't just for his day, it's for our day as well. And Lord, as we look at the implication, the historical implication, we can look at the future implication as well. And the present application for us today. So I pray that we would be attentive in these next few moments as we finish chapter 34 and go into chapter 35. And Lord, that we would just uh, once again be exhorted and built up and encouraged in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. As we open up chapter 34, uh, chapters 25 through 32, if you've been with us in our study of Ezekiel, was those proclamation against the nations around Judah. Of course, Ezekiel taken off in his second captivity, the second deportation uh, in 597 B.C. The 70-year captivity began in 605 B.C. We continue through 536 B.C. Remember Jeremiah and his prophecy said that the captivity would last 70 years. Isaiah comes along, talks about how Cyrus would be God's servant that would make that decree that they could go back and rebuild the temple. And that's exactly what happened historically. God's word is incredible. Isaiah prophesying it a couple hundred years before Cyrus was even born. Uh, Here comes Jeremiah. He prophesied that the captivity would be 70 years. And the reason that he made it very specific is because that there were the false prophets and the false teachers, religious leaders that were on the scene and they were given false prophecies saying that, oh, the captivity is only going to last for a couple years. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to go down and nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. We have the temple. Jerusalem's not going to be destroyed. And it would cause the civil leaders as well to make foolish decisions. And we've discussed those things as uh, the religious leaders and even the civil leaders had led the people astray. And here is Jeremiah. He's in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the leaders there in Jerusalem. Daniel is in Babylon. He is serving in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. And then here is Ezekiel as he is given prophecies, amazing visions and prophecies concerning the house of Judah at that time, focusing on the destruction of Jerusalem that would come. But also, as we move forward, we're going to see that amazing prophecies of the future that we're going to be looking at. He's going to begin to touch on that as we continue in chapter 34. But as we finish that section, chapters 25 through 32, as we outline Ezekiel, the proclamation against the nations uh, that surrounded uh, Judah, uh, we saw Tyre and Sidon that was included, Egypt. Uh, Ammon, uh, Moab, the uh, Edomites, the Philistines, uh, all those proclamations against them that God's going to deal with them and deal with their pride, just as Jeremiah had a section in his book about the same thing, and also Isaiah. Isaiah dealt with uh, Babylon. Here Ezekiel didn't deal with Babylon, a proclamation against them, but he does mention that God is going to deal with Babylon in, in a few verses, but there wasn't a whole chapter uh, concerning that. And then in chapter 33, he talked about the watchman on the wall. And that was a very important message. You and I, to remind us at this point in our study, 
that the day in which we're in, we're called to be watchmen on the wall. The watchmen would blow the trumpet, give the warning that danger's coming, uh, what was taking place, and the people were to respond to it, and you and I are watchmen on the wall. We're to give the truth of God's word. We're to tell others of what is coming, and we know that the storm clouds are gathering all around us. Listen, this is a time for us to be watching and to remind you once again that the Bible, particularly the New Testament, repeatedly tells us that we're to be the wise and faithful servant that is watching. We are to be looking for the master's return, is what Jesus said, because I come at a time that you do not know. I believe that it's a very, uh, very real, probable, um, you know, scenario that the Lord can come very, very soon. At least that's what I'm praying. There's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for Jesus to come for the church. It can happen at any time. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that we are in the latter days. We know that we're in the latter days as we're going to talk about the super sign when we get to chapters 36 and 37, seeing that fulfilled, particularly chapter 37, the vision of the dry bones being fulfilled in, in our lifetime. And it's amazing that God's word is so accurate. This is written 2,500 years ago that a nation that was dead coming alive once again. So we will talk about that specifically, but listen, this is a time where we're not to be falling asleep and, and we're to be sober, we're to be vigilant, we're to be sober-minded, we're to be looking for the Lord's return, we are to be watching and we're told that and we are to be watchmen on the wall and we are to tell people of what has taken place in the days in which we're in. So much is going on even over the last week uh, what has taken place in Israel. And as I've said and I will continue to point out as we go through Ezekiel, and then when we go through Daniel, we're going to go through Daniel on Sunday morning when we get done with Matthew. And that'll probably be happening late summer um, when we go into Daniel. You don't want to miss that study because Daniel is the foundation, the Bible prophecy. And Daniel is the forerunner to the book of Revelation. But what we will see is Daniel very painstakingly and, and very specifically is going to show us that Israel is going to be a focal point in the last days. And we see that throughout Scripture, and we will see that even as we continue in the book of Ezekiel, that there is a promise for Israel of a restoration. So as we go through the Scriptures, not only would they return from the 70-year captivity, but they would also return from being exiled in 70 AD when the Romans came in, and they would destroy the second temple in Jerusalem at that time. And then the Jews would be dispersed to all the nations, and that there would be a time when they would come back into the cities and the hills and inhabit the land once again. And that's what we're going to be reading as we continue. That would start the, the, the end times clock, if you would, the latter day clock that Israel's back on the scene. And it really is remarkable days that we are in because for the first time in 2,000 years since 70 AD, you have the church on the scene and Israel on the scene. And so it's absolutely amazing. And the Lord has a plan for the church. He's going to rapture us up. And then Israel's going to be the focal point in the end times. We know that from the book of Revelation. We know that from the book of Daniel. We'll see it here in the book of Ezekiel. And that they're going to be restored. Their eyes opened up at the end of the tribulation period. It's the only nation where there's a national restoration that is spoken of. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 11 at that time 
that all of Israel will be saved. So there's a lot that we're going to cover and amazing things. So in the last week, as I mentioned, it has heated up in Israel. The Bible says that Israel's going to find herself being isolated. We will see that particularly as we go into Ezekiel 38 and 39, that, that war of Gog and Magog that is yet future. We see stage-setting events that are taking place, that that war can happen at, at any moment. And we are seeing the tension rise in Israel once again. I've always said that the focal point of, of end-time prophecy is not the United States, it is Israel. There's a lot of things that are happening here in our country that speak of the end times, but we're going to see that, that the end time scenario, uh, as end time teachers will tell you, that the hour clock concerns Israel, the minute clock concerns Jerusalem, and, and the second hand on that clock concerns the Temple Mount. And that's where all the tension really began just last week as there was tension or the week before that on the Temple Mount. And then it led to missiles being fired into Israel. And so we're going to see, don't be surprised if upheaval and tension increase in the Middle East once again. There's kind of been a low, especially during this last year when there was COVID. But now we have a new administration. Uh, we have uh, a new season. And don't be surprised if we see that. So we'll talk more about that. So we want to be watchmen on the wall. And then also that the church, I pray, is strong. And here in chapter 34, as we saw that there was this indictment against the irresponsible shepherds, that they weren't feeding the people, they were fleecing the people, they were taking advantage of them, and the sheep were scattered. So now we're going to see that God's going to tell us that he is the true shepherd. Again, chapter 34 and verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. So God is the true shepherd. He seeks out his sheep. And of course, it was Jesus that said that, that my sheep uh, know my voice. They, they hear my voice and they follow me. And when you go to Israel today, you can go and you can see the better ones that have the goats and the sheep, and each one has a call, and we have the call of God in our lives. We know his voice. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, and so we know that God had come down hard on those irresponsible shepherds, but as he's come down hard on a nation, his desire is to restore them and care for them. They have been scattered by the Babylonians. Before that, the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, scattered by the Assyrians. But God's desire is to gather them in their land once again. And that's what we're going to see, that there's going to be a, a focus on that in the, next, in the rest of this chapter and in chapter 36 and 37. But let's continue reading verse 13 of the chapter. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel, where they shall lie down in good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. 
Does that remind you of our good shepherd? Sure it does. He wants to bring them to a place where they will be fed and nourished. The Lord is so good. Jesus would say, as we saw in Matthew's gospel, that as he stood on that hillside, he cried out to the people, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come learn in me and find rest for your souls, for I'm gentle and meek. And, and he goes on to say that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, come to me. That's an invitation for all of us as we're wearied and heavy laden. And as I read this, it, it reminds me so much as he says, I will feed them in good pastures, and I will feed my flock. I will make them to lie down. What does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of a couple psalms that we have. A couple psalms of David, Psalm 37, where we read, David writes, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him. And rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, as we see that the Lord desires for us to feed upon his faithfulness, is what the psalmist is writing, David. To feed upon him, to see that he is good. And what we do is, first of all, we trust in the Lord, and we feed upon the Lord. And as we do, commit your ways to the Lord. And, and as we do those things, then we'll be able to rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. So we are to come to him, feed upon him. We are to commit our ways to him. And then we are to rest in him. And that's something that the Lord desires for us to do is just rest in him to know that, Lord, you have a glorious plan. You have a wonderful future for me. You're the good shepherd. You're the one that has called me. And I know your voice. And you desire for me to just trust in you and feed upon you and commit my way to you and rest in your love that you have. But it also reminds me, as we read these verses here, Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. We all know the psalm, don't we? That I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he goes on, and he says that you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he's the one that desires for us to, to lie down in green pastures, to be beside the still waters. Comfort for our soul is what David is saying, and I'm so grateful for that, that we have the good shepherd that wants to bring that to our lives. Because maybe tonight that there's somebody that's listening to this, or maybe more than one person, that you are fretting, that you are worried, that you're feeling dry, and the Lord desires the good shepherd for you to be gathered to him, to trust in him, to rest in him, to commit your ways to him, and to know that he will not let you down, to bring comfort to your soul, to bring you to the still waters, bring you to the pastures where you can feed upon him. And he is so good. And I, I, I love those promises. I need that. But in verse 16, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So God's going to deal with the false teachers. And a couple things here as I read this, first of all, it reminds me that an awesome responsibility that I have as the under-shepherd of God's people. 
He is the chief shepherd is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and telling us that we are to not rule over, we're to teach, be an example to the flock, do our ministry willingly, and we're responsible to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We're the under-shepherd, but also you are as well. As parents, you're, you're shepherding your families. As you're ministering to them, it's an awesome responsibility. And James, he would say in his book, don't many of you desire to be teachers because you're going to be held at a stricter judgment. So me teaching the word of God, I will be held at a stricter judgment before God in how I teach the word of God. And that's a very sobering thought. But also, you know, we're going to be held accountable as parents, as uh, we shepherd our family before God. And we want to do it in a way that pleases him. But God's going to restore his people and bring them back. And he's going to heal them is what he's going to do. But I love what it says, that I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. It reminds me of what we went over not long ago in Matthew's gospel. Recall the parable of the lost sheep. That the one who left the 99 and uh, the one sheep that, that wandered off. And here he's been talking about because you irresponsible shepherds have been fleecing the flock. The, the sheep are scattered. So I will gather them to myself because I'm the good shepherd. But Jesus in that parable in Matthew's gospel, he says that the one sheep left the 99 and a shepherd went and found him. And he, for you know, finding that shepherd would bring it back to the flock. And, and the shepherd rejoiced over the fact that he found the lost sheep. And that's our Lord. He rejoices in bringing us back to him, back to the flock, back to himself. And then Jesus defines his mission. He says, I will save and seek that which is lost. And I'm so glad that the Lord cared about me and loved me enough because I was lost. I was wandering for so long. And, and we know people around us that are wandering. They're lost. They don't know that they're lost. Uh, wondering what life is all about. He desires to seek them out. He desires to save them. We need to be praying for them. But it just reminds me so much as I read this section about our good shepherd Jesus Christ. In verse 17, as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between ram and goats. It is is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk of the clear waters that you must uh, foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, verse 22, and they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. So God knows who are his sheep and who are truly his shepherds. Uh, I know that when in a few weeks in Matthew... Um, that we're going to, in chapter 23, see Jesus' last indictment of the religious leaders. And there will be a series of woes that he will say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And we will look at those indictments. And, and a lot of it is very similar to what the indictment against the leaders are at this time, you know, 500 years, uh, 600 years before Jesus, you know, indicts the Pharisees. So 
here, as he's indicting them, um, it reminds me also what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 27 as he closing the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Many will say to me in that day, and I believe that even the day that Ezekiel is speaking of, that Lord, Lord, and I think it's for our date as well, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Now some people, they read that and they really are overtaken. They really um, wonder, what is that all about? You know, um, that they say, Lord, Lord, they prophesied it did many wonderful works, but the Lord says, you're workers of iniquity. I never knew you, and that's the key. You see, there wasn't true relationship with them. There is religion. There was work being done in the name of Jesus, but there wasn't relationship. Jesus said, I never knew you, and we know that that's what saves us when we come and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, recognize our need to be saved, to be forgiven. He's the Savior of the world. He's provided uh, forgiveness as he made atonement for our sins on Calvary's cross. We have relationships. So that's what we need to keep in mind when we read verses like that and we think, oh, you know, uh, what does that exactly mean? The key to it is I never knew you is what he says. And here these, these leaders didn't have that, that um, relationship with God. They had forsaken the Lord. The Lord had been calling them back. The Lord had been calling them, but they had spir- played the spiritual, you know, harlot Remember, uh, they have committed spiritually adultery. They had left the Lord. So here, as he's calling them back, he continues, verse 23, which is an interesting verse here. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. So what makes this verse interesting here is some look at it and say that it speaks about how David will um, be uh, the king of Israel during the millennium reign. We know that there will be nations um, that will be still in existence. There's the judgment of the nations. And then even in the millennium reign, the nations, as Zechariah chapter 14 says, will come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Zechariah chapter 14. And those nations that don't, God's going to deal with them. And we know that David, the scriptures seem to indicate, Jeremiah makes a reference to David during the time of of the the millennium reign, during the time of the restoration of Israel. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 9, But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So the scriptures from Jeremiah and Ezekiel seem to indicate to us that David will be the king of Israel. Now, Jesus will be ruling over all the nations. He'll be ruling over all the nations with a rod of iron. But David will be the king of Israel. And David, of course, was the greatest king of Israel. All the other kings were compared to David. It, it, you know, David's interesting as you read his life. He was a man after God's own heart. And, and he failed in, in a lot of ways. He committed murder. Uh, He was guilty of adultery. Uh, He was one that failed in ministering to his kids and dealing with his kids, and it shows. He was a great administrator. He was a great warrior. He was a a good king. But what made David stand out from the other kings is he never, never bowed the knee to an idol. 
His son Solomon did. Solomon burnt incense to those false gods as he married those you know, wives from foreign nations that worshipped those false gods. But all the other kings were compared to David who had a heart after God, who was one that never forsook the Lord in that worshiping other gods. So he's a great king, and he's going to be ruling Israel during the time of the millennial reign. Uh, there's no reason to think that um, it's not speaking of David. Some say, well, it's speaking of the son of David uh, that is going to ultimately rule and reign. But there is nothing in Ezekiel or Jeremiah that demands that they are not referring to little King David over Israel. So verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield their increase, her increase, and they shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I, the Lord, have broken the bonds of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. In verse 29, I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger, hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. So Israel, of course, uh, the Assyrians taking the ten northern tribes off into captivity. Here Judah, the Babylonians, um, they would go through tremendous difficulties. And the Lord says, that I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to cause it to rain. You're going to dwell in the land safely once again. You're no longer going to be the shame of the Gentiles. You recall that the prophecies have been given that the other Gentile nations are going to mock Judah uh, because of their pride. They're going to rejoice over Judah has been taken off into captivity. We've looked at that. Uh, they're going to say, you know, what happened to them? Here's Jerusalem, this beautiful city. It's a desolate place now. No more is that going to be done. And in verse 30, they shall know that I am the Lord their God. With them in the house of Israel are my people, says the Lord God. And you are my flock, the flock of my pasture. And you are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. So again, speaking of Israel dwelling safely in the land, and, and the Lord blessing the land, and I will, that is mentioned, I believe, 18 times in verses 11 through 20, verse 29. In other words, as God says, I will, he will bring it to pass. Because he's the good shepherd, and he's faithful to his word. And, and that brings encouragement to me because I know that the Lord's going to see me through. And that he's going to be, bring me to that place where I'm going to be with him and part of the kingdom and rule and reign with him and with him forever. And so are you because we have the promise of salvation and he's going to bring it to pass so I can rest in that. And as we go into chapter 35, we're going to see that this judgment is given um, against uh, the Edomites or Mount Seir. We read in verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, 
and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, on Mount Seir, I am against you, and I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. I shall lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, the Edomites occupied that land south of the Dead Sea. They're descendants of Esau, Esau being Jacob's brother. Now, here's the question to ask. Why would God have Ezekiel devote a second prophecy to Edom in this proclamation against them? And why would it be placed in this section that deals with Israel's restoration? The end of chapter 24, the Lord begins to say, I'm going to bring you back into the land. You're going to dwell safely in the land. You're no longer going to be uh, you know, mocked by the Gentiles. You're no longer going to be one that um, is going to... Uh, you, you know, going to be the shame of the Gentiles anymore. And you're going to be restored. He's beginning just to get into that. And all of a sudden, here's this proclamation against the Edomites. Some commentators have suggested that perhaps they believe Edom here represents all the nations that oppose Israel, that are bitter and angry at Israel. We know that Esau was angry at Jacob. Remember? That when Jacob deceived uh, his, his, um, his father, uh, Isaac, uh, and received the blessing, and Esau was so mad, his, Jacob's twin brother, was going to kill Jacob. And Jacob had to flee and go to Pandanaran, and he was there for 20 years. So we know that it was the Edomites, as we saw in 588 B.C., right before Ezekiel's taken off into captivity, they joined the Babylonians in her assault against Judah. There's a couple important implications in this. Number one is that the nations of the world are going to come against Israel. What we're going to see, according to the scriptures, is Israel's going to find herself being isolated. And we see that today. We see that the world, as uh, tensions you know, come out in Israel... Uh, Israel gets condemned for defending herself. Um, Israel gets condemned by the United Nations all the time. The nations turn against Israel, and we even see anti-Semitism that has been growing over the last few years in Europe and even in our nation as we see attacks against synagogues. And also in our nation's capital, there are leaders in our nation that come against Israel, that speak against Israel, call them terrorists and all of this. We are going to see an attitude of that that will continue and, and will peak when it gets into the tribulation period because Zechariah says that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling for all the nations. And what's going to happen is, even as we will see in Ezekiel 38, when this war breaks out, that Israel finds herself alone. And God is bringing Israel to a place where they can't trust in the United States and, and look to the United States for help. They have to look to God. So there's a plan in all of this, but there's also an atmosphere of anti-Semitic attitudes uh, that is increasing around the world because there's a spiritual dimension to it. 
that Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people. Always have, ever since back uh, in uh, Exodus, when trying to drown all the male children, throw them in the Nile River. Uh, the story of Esther that we see, uh, the killing of the babies in Bethlehem, trying to destroy the, the Christ child. There's a spiritual dimension, and we need to understand that. It's just not all geopolitical that, that is going on. There's a spiritual you know, thing that has taken place to where we know that Israel's going to be isolated and it's going to be hated by the nations. And so that's what we're going to see very clearly. And here perhaps uh, it, it mentions uh, in, uh, the Edomites because it is perhaps speaking of others that will grow and show uh, in their actions, uh, taking sides to attack them, coming against Israel, which we're going to see in the last days. Don't be surprised when we see that, but also... As Christians, listen, that we are not to grow in bitterness and anger and jealousy towards others. And that's what Esau did. He was so angry. And he, he, he wanted to, to kill his brother Jacob. And so we need to put those things aside. And we are going to uh, see that, that uh, even as we talked about last Sunday, that there's no room for jealousy in our service to the Lord and I hope that it was a blessing to you and a good word for all of us as we talked about that as we moved into Matthew chapter 20. But let's continue here in verse 5 because you have had an ancient hatred. Interesting, a hatred that's been going on for a long time. And what I pray is for anyone here that's listening to this message, if there's an ancient hatred that you have towards somebody that you would give it to the Lord, that you would turn from that hatred, desire for there to be restoring forgiveness, get rid of the bitterness, the jealousy, whatever is going on, to try to, to may not be a restoring of relationships, but forgiveness, and put in aside the hatred. God doesn't want us to. He says, put aside anger and hatred and malice and wrath and all of that. Put it aside because it'll end up just decaying and destroying our faith. So you have this ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power and the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. And therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood and blood shall pursue uh, you since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Thus it will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and on those valleys, on your valleys, and in all your uh, ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. And I will make you perpetually desolate, and your city shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So the geographic location is east of the Dead Sea, where they lived, the Edomites. And God says, I'll bring destruction on them for what they did to Israel. Rejoice over destruction by Babylon. Obadiah talks about that specifically. It won't be inhabited. It's very desolate right now, even today. In verse 10, because you have said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. So what two nations, two countries? Probably talking of the house of Israel, their hatred for them, because it's an ancient hatred. And then the house of Judah now. And they said that they'll be our possessions. We're going to take over. 
Therefore, as I live, verse 11 says the Lord, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying they are desolate. You are given to us to consume. And thus with your mouth you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. And thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoice because of the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Eden, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So Edom here um, saying that um, we are going to possess the house of Israel, the house of Judah, God dealt with his people concerning their sin, both Israel and Judah, and their disobedience, but he has never forgotten his promise to them. And remember that Abraham said that I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham, and it's still true today. God's word given to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. When we see the end time scenario unfolding, We know that the nations will come against Israel. And we know that at the end of the tribulation period, that the nations of the world will come in the valley of Megiddo fighting each other, but also to take Jerusalem. Zechariah says half the city will fall. But then God's going to step in. As Joel chapter 2. They will blow the trumpet. They will seek a fast. They will seek the Lord. Then their eyes are going to be open, realizing Jesus is their Messiah. As he is going to return there and they will be saved in that day. The nation will be restored. God's going to save Israel and he'll destroy those, those invading armies that come against Israel. But one of the things, again, they will go through difficulty. They will go through the fire. They will go through great tribulation as Daniel chapter 12 says because God's going to get them to the point where they can't trust in another nation that he wants them to trust in him and have their eyes opened up. And so we're going to talk about that restoring of Israel coming back into the land. It's going to be very, very important these next couple studies, the next couple weeks. And then we're going to see that in the latter days, after they're in the land, there's going to be this Ezekiel 38, which I believe could be the next major war in the Middle East that could take place very soon. We'll talk about that more specifically but very important for us to understand these things and and for us to know that God fulfilling his promises to them, we've seen right before our very eyes, absolutely amazing. And that we will know that they will be the focal point in the last days. So it's it's something that you don't want to miss, but to know this, that he will deal with any nation that wants Israel as a possession to take away Israel's title deed to the land. But I will do according to your anger against my people. We need to make sure that we understand Israel's role in the last days and to understand that God is working and that God is going to be faithful to them just as he's faithful to you and to me in the promises that he gives to us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this section of Ezekiel it's so exciting when we go through it. Yes, there is a lot of difficulty and trials and judgment that is spoken of. But, Lord, we see underneath it all there's a plan. And, Lord, we know that your word is true, that you have brought them back from the countries. They're back in the mountains of Israel. They're back 
in the ancient cities. They're rebuilding it. The land is blooming once again. The dry bones have, have come together to where a nation is alive that was dead. And as we talk about these things, may it stir our hearts knowing that your word is true and there's a wonderful plan, not only for them, but for us. Your word is true for us, that you're going to see us through. So, Lord, help us to put aside those things that are not pleasing to you. That, Lord, that we would be ones to come to you, the good shepherd. That we would hear your voice. That we'd lie down in green pastures. That our souls would be restored. The comfort that would come as we feed upon you and your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord to trust in you and to rest in you as well and to commit our ways to you, not to go to sleep in the days in which we are in, but be watching because the storm clouds are gathering. And the things that we see around us that can distract us away from you and trouble us in our hearts, that it's all culminating to, Lord, what's going to take place in the days ahead and that we would know that you have a wonderful plan for us, that you're going to come and take us home to be with you. You're going to take the church home. And so, Lord, may we keep an eternal perspective and our eyes on you. And as we do, that may purify our hearts, wanting to live for you. So I thank you for these important reminders. I pray you bless everyone here the rest of our week. We look forward to gathering once again on Sundays. We continue in Matthew. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Hopefully we'll see you on Sunday.